0: We believe. We believe. Amen? We'll turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 15 to 18 together. Uh, and would you stand with me now for the reading of God's word? But before I read, just want you to know, I was here last night, as I often am on Saturdays, walking through our sanctuary, thinking about each and every one of you here, praying for each and every one of you here, for all of us, that we would meet God in in his word and song and worship together as as a congregation, as we gather here together. I want to read God's word, and I want to pray, even in light of the prayer that God led me to last night on your behalf, that we might... Glorify him together. This is God's holy and inspired word. Galatians 3 and verse 15 says this. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham And to his offspring, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. You may be seated. Father, we all come to you today desperate for you to do a work on each and every one of our hearts in this room. We recognize that in our own strength and in our own power and in our own thoughts and imaginations that nothing at all will happen today of any spiritual significance if it's not for your work upon us. So Lord, even as I prayed to you last night, Would you fill up each of our hearts to see the glory of your word once again? Would you help us to hear expectantly, to hear from you, to hear from what you want us to see, so that our hearts might not wander and our minds might not be lost, but that our hearts and minds and whole soul and being would be focused on what you have for us today and that you would move in ways that are so mysterious, that are so beyond us, that we can't even put a finger on, that we can't even explain, move in ways with your word for the good of your people. And even for those who are not your people yet, would you move in hearts to build up believers today, every believer in this room, And would you move in hearts to give spiritual life to unbelievers today? Any believer, unbeliever, who's here with us, who's not believed in your son. Would you open eyes? Would you transform hearts? We're dependent upon you, God. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, because we live in a fallen world, I think it's really easy for us all to become jaded and hard hearted, even a little pessimistic and skeptical about other people's promises. We'll keep in touch. I'll pray for you. Call anytime, I'll meet you there at 8. I'll always be there for you, I promise. I won't ever do or say that again, I promise. And the list goes on and on. And sadly, even with more significant agreements and promises like marriage vows, we often see those promises broken in an on-demand kind of way at whims. That's why in a fallen world, binding contracts are often made, especially in, in business, for instance, to ensure compliance. And the more the official that that contract is, the more impossible it is to break without legal or financial repercussions or, or damages. But it could seem like no one's word is good anymore. Can't it? And as long as sin is part of the equation, and it is in the fallen world that we live in, we are going to see broken promises over and over and over again, aren't we? But not so with our trustworthy God. His promises will be kept Because of his very nature, God is good. He's unchanging. He's trustworthy. This is who God is by very nature. The false teachers were causing havoc in the churches in Galatia to lead the believers there to forget God's promises. They were leading Christians there to just let it go right out their minds even. So in our time today, I want us to see those promises ourselves so that we don't forget God's good promises. And this leads us back to our text. And point number one, seed promise fulfilled in Christ. Look with me in your Bibles now to Galatians 3 and verse 16 for this. It says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. The most foundational promise in all of history is tied to the most foundational person in all of history. Jesus Christ was promised by God before anyone even understood all that was going on. Are you here today and feeling a little bit burned by broken promises? Do you have a hard time trusting others because of those broken promises? I want you to take heart and don't forget this most foundational promise of God. As a matter of fact, I want you to rest Your life on the promises of God. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, after Adam and Eve fell into sin way back then, remember in our Genesis series, for those of you who were there, the gospel was preached even all the way back in Genesis. And future offspring or future seed was promised promised even in light of the consequences and mess of the fall. Let's see it again for ourselves in Genesis 3.14. It says, The Lord said to the serpent, here's a consequence to the certain serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, the promised offspring of the woman anticipated even in Genesis would lead to a future child who would defeat Satan himself. And in the death of Christ, Satan was truly defeated, wasn't he? Satan was crushed. Sin was crushed. The defeat in the cross, as the promised one, crushed Satan and all that he would hold over fallen Humanity, but the promise of a future offspring was made also to Father Abraham. Did you know that? Remember when Father Abraham and his wife were old, really old, kind of the, the old that you have no thought or intention or imagination even that you would have a child at that age. But what did God do? God promised offspring for Abraham. And God gave them their son, Isaac, Abraham and Sarah, their son, Isaac, and multiple descendants after him. Let's quickly look at the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, so that we can see what this promise is all about. Genesis chapter 12 and verse. Two says this and i will make you a great nation and i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing abraham did not have any children up to that point so even that initial promise in genesis 12 is anticipating offspring isn't it in genesis chapter 15 and verse 2 it says this but abram that's, that's Abraham. Remember, he was Abram first, just for clarity. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Remember that saving faith. That even Abraham had when he first believed before he did anything else. This is the promise of God. And then we see in Genesis seventeen seven as well. He says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. And your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. But the amazing thing that we see here in Galatians that we just read is that Paul points to a ultimate fulfillment of this promise he made to Abraham. He points not to his son Isaac, which was a huge miracle at that. Unthinkable that they would have a child at that age. But ultimately, Paul says... The promise points ultimately not to Isaac or not even to the many descendants after him. And the nation of Israel is vast. God even said, look at the stars. Those are your descendants. So many. But Paul wasn't even pointing to that. The ultimate fulfillment of that promise was what? It was Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sure, there was a child that came from Abraham and Sarah, and many more children from generations down from them. And sure, as we see in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, and specifically in the genealogy of Matthew, as we saw in our Matthew series last year, there was a preserved, unique line leading... From Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through David, all the way down to who? Jesus Christ. And of course, the word offspring, even said in the singular, can refer to many, 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 many people, right? Paul knew that. He used that word in that specific way later in this letter. But Paul, you see, jumps really, 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 really high like Mike. If you've ever been to my office, you may have seen a plaque picture of Air Jordan that I've had since junior high. It's a picture of him jumping to dunk from the free throw line where he won the slam dunk contest in 1988. Classic slam dunk soaring through the sky from the free throw line to dunk it in that's that's amazing but Paul you see here jumps from this promise of Abraham and a seed soaring all the way in the air all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ the ultimate seed the promised offspring And he belabors the point here in Galatians that a singular child was in view, a singular seed, one baby boy, one person. That is Jesus Christ himself. Abraham and Sarah were thinking about a baby and then their descendants. Grandchildren and great-grandchildren and the great-great-great-greats, a nation. And they had all that, didn't they? But God meant that his promise was a promise of his very own son. That was the purpose even way back, way back in Genesis when he made it. And I agree with Tom Schreiner on this point as he wrote, the promise should be conceived typologically. Typologically is just a fancy word to say. It's a reference point. It's pointing to something else. They would have thought one thing. But, and it means that one thing. It's not like they wouldn't have kids and grandkids and a nation and people. And, but, but, but God had in mind something else, a fulfillment of this promise. So he says the promise should be conceived typologically for the offspring promises have their final fulfillment in Christ. So that the offspring promises in the Old Testament point forward and anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's just say... That when you have a promise like this one, actually fulfilled, there's nothing, and I I mean nothing else you need, truly need. God promised a son who would transform the world and bring blessings further than our even wildest imaginations, ultimate blessings, the best of the best blessing, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ all pointing to Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior fulfilling an ancient gospel promise to bless and save us from our sins. We are secure in the promises of Christ. We are standing, standing, standing on the promises of, of God our, we are standing on the promises of God as we sung earlier the promise you see is the gospel jesus is our promise the promised offspring of abraham is the promised son of david the lord jesus christ but you might be thinking that promise was a long time ago daniel does it even still have merit is it even still valid now The false teachers were emphasizing that the Mosaic law, they were emphasizing even maybe that this law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying that the law even superseded or replaced or was the next best thing over this promise to Abraham. I mean, it came after, right? So it was further along in in history, so for them, for these false teachers focusing on the Mosaic law, covenant, seemed to them like the end thing to do. What was it? This leads us to our next point for answers to this objection. And number two, the Abrahamic promise is unbroken. Look with me in your Bibles to Galatians 3 and verse 15. Paul says this to give a human example, Brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Skip ahead to verse 17 now. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. I mentioned earlier that binding contracts are often made in the business world. For instance, if IBM made some kind of agreement with Microsoft, they can't just contradict that contract and, and willy-nilly change things up or take it off the table. If they tried to do that kind of thing, what would happen? It just wouldn't pull muster. There would be legal repercussions. There would be problems. You just can't just change it in that way. That's the example that Paul's giving. If even human contracts and covenants and these types of agreements can't be done away with or or added to later, neither can this amazing promise that we saw in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, neither can this amazing promise of God made with Abraham be counteracted. You see, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater, to a human analogy to to, to God. You see that? And God's promise he made to Abraham was the good news of the gospel. We saw that even last week, that, that he's pointing to the good news of the gospel going to all the nations. We just saw that. He's the promised offspring. Here in our first point, we saw that he's the promised child. And he was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the good news of the gospel. The Abrahamic promise was pointing to and revealing the gospel, as we see here in Galatians 3. Jesus was born, lived a perfect life, and he died a substitutionary death and rose again for his people. He is... The good news. The Abrahamic promise of God made way back then was the gospel promise of Jesus Christ himself. You think God is going to go back on a promise like that? You think the law given at Mount Sinai could reverse this promise somehow or replace it or, or change it? The law, you see, was never meant to replace, change, usurp, Or break God's promise there. And we're going to see that more into the future. But this is Paul's argument that he's making. The law came way after. 430 years even. Which was the period in in Egypt as we see in Exodus. As as, as Paul is arguing from Abraham to Isaac. And then to Jacob. And in Genesis 49. Which is where Jacob's at. And I know that y'all discussed that in, in Sunday school Today, But in Genesis 49, he'll repeat that promise again to him. There's the handoff into Egypt, the 430 years. So from Abraham through his family to Moses on Mount Sinai. From the promise to the law being given. And Paul is saying that the law was never meant to be given as a kind of redo. This is his point not meant to replace the gospel, promise. We can be loose with our words, can't we? We can cross our fingers. We can intend things that don't end up happening and break our word. And others can do this to us as well. They could fail to make good on their promises. Fail to keep their word. Let us down. Even as you and I have let others down. Down as well. But with God, you see, his word is sure. I want you to get a little glimpse of this promise that God made with Abraham so you can see how seriously he took it. We we identified what the promise was, but I want you to see even more about what God did to, to make this covenant, this promise, sure. Back in Genesis 15 is where we're going to go for this. R.C. Sproul calls this his life verse. It's a ragu- rather unusual life verse, but I really appreciate it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a real popular one. Or for God so love the world. You know, that, that is a one that is on a lot of people's lists and for good reason. But let's see Sproul's. Life verse. Genesis 15:7. Right after God promises Abraham that we just saw, remember? And Abraham believed God and was justified through faith. What happens? Abraham asks God for the details of the whole covenant promise thing. He wants to, he wants to see how this contract was written out. Here's what God says in Genesis 15 and verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, and a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So you might think that R.C. Sproul had a few screws loose to have Genesis 15 as his life verse, right? I mean, I could see that. The actual specific verse is coming that he really exalts in and loves. But this whole passage fits with his life verse theme. But give it some more thought before we write, sprawl off here. Here's the glorious picture about God's covenant that he made with Abraham. He promised the gospel to him and ratified or made a sign and made the covenant formal with the shedding of animal blood. And right after this, we see in Genesis 15, right after what I read, Abraham falls asleep. God predicts uh, Egypt and slavery and Exodus, wanderings and these things of that nature at that point. And we also see um, that, that what God says next, right after all of this, right after he falls asleep, in Genesis fifteen seven, which is really Sproul's favorite, favorite verse, it says, it says this, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these, these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This smoking firepot and torch represents even divine presence or what the theologians would call a theophany, when God's presence is made manifest physically in a different way. As Old Testament scholar Victor Hamilton puts it, of special significance here is the idea of Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, represented by fiery symbols passing between the rows of animal flesh. The smoking fire pot and the flaming torch remind one of the smoke and fire that surrounded the summit on Mount Sinai. Fire in the Bible is often a symbol of the presence of God. So God moved between these sliced up animals to confirm and make official his covenantal promise with Abraham. Now, this sounds like a whole lot of mess, And a whole lot going on and so foreign to our context. Those of you who may be visiting, we never do anything like that here at First Baptist Church. No animal sacrifices or anything of that nature. So let me help you understand it a little bit more. As R.C. Sproul said, it was as if God was saying, may I be torn asunder if I don't keep my promise like these animals before us. Sproul continues to show why it's his favorite verse, and he says, because God could swear by nothing greater, he swore by himself, by his own character and his own being. Now, if that is not a promise to get excited about and believe wholeheartedly, then I don't know what is if you're not moved in excitement about God's promises, I don't know what will move you. Do you see now why this is R.C. Sproul's favorite verse, life verse? You may have nothing going on right now in your life to put stock in, to hope for, to really believe in. Make this your life verse today. Be confident, be comforted, and put your trust in the promise that God made himself and God himself established. God put himself on the line for this one. And nothing could reverse it. Not you or me, not even the law itself. It was never meant to reverse it. This leads us to our third and final Point. And number three, law keepers, you see, they forfeit the promise. Look with me at Galatians 3 and verse 18 for this. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. If you take nothing else away from the sermon today. Hear this. Listen to this. God put himself on the line to make the gospel promise way back with Father Abraham. Way back before you or I were born. A promise that he will never break. A promise that nothing replaces He promised the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since we know the whole story as Christians here, those of us who are Christians, since we live after Abraham and Moses and David, and we know the story, we know that Christ came. We know that this promise was fulfilled. All you have to do... All we have to do to receive this promise is to believe that Jesus really is the promised offspring for you. That Jesus really is the good news that we've all been waiting for. We get the blessing and the inheritance of the promise by what? Believing the good news of the gospel. Simply believing, trusting Jesus, trusting God, the trustworthy one. You can't trust in yourselves. That will not do. You certainly can't trust others fully because of sin. And you can't trust in law keeping. But you can trust a promise that God made and accomplished for us and for our salvation. The Mosaic law was never meant to replace this initial gospel promise we will see why the law was given to begin with in the first place next week because that's the obvious question that comes up in our minds, understandably, from all of this teaching that Paul is bringing. But be warned from a slightly different angle here that Paul is approaching in this section of Scripture. Paul has continued to hammer home that justification is not by works but by by grace, through faith. But here, you see, he shifts the argument to say that promise is also not by works of the law either. Because those who rely on works of the law are not only under a curse, as we saw last week, falling without a rope from the rock, falling from the cliff, not only are they all under curse, but they are also alienating themselves From the promise of God that will never be reversed or replaced even after the Lord gave the law 430 years later. The works of the law do not lead to gospel promise either. That is not the purpose of the law at all. In fact, if you look to receive promise in law keeping, you actually forfeit... The promise. This past week, as some of you know, I came across a nostalgic album that came out in 2000, and when I was in high school, I listened on loud to Linkin Park's album. I don't, I don't recommend the band and things of that nature. Remember, I was in high school and running around in high school, little Daniel in high school listening, uh, but I'll tell you, listening back to some of those lyrics and some of those songs it was just so nostalgic and in fact uh, before football games we would regularly blare this music this particular song might be a good bulldog song I don't know maybe uh, to, to get the team ready and to intimidate the other team these are the lyrics of one of their songs it says forfeit the game Before somebody else takes you out of the frame and puts your name to shame, cover up your face, you can't run the race. The pace is too fast. You just won't last. We played that to intimidate our opponents. Oh, you just forfeit before we come. Oftentimes we'd lose. It didn't work. But you know, we got some motivation. We got pumped up in that. You see, Paul is saying the same thing as this band years later. He's saying, you forfeit the game. You forfeit the promise. The promise of the gospel as anticipated in the Garden of Eden and then made actually by God according to his person and character with Abraham himself and to his descendants. The gospel promises received and the inheritance had in the same way that Abraham Got it years ago. That is by believing God, trusting God. Do you believe God? Do you trust His promise to save you? Do you trust that Christ actually brings you to eternal blessings based on His person and work? Do you trust this trustworthy God? who made a covenant all those years ago. Rely on the promise, not the law. Rely on his doing, not your doing. Your doing leads to defeat, leads to forfeit, leads to losing the promise. Rely on him. Rely on the cross that accomplished it all. Do you, do you believe that it accomplished it all for you? Rely On the gospel. Rely on Jesus. The promised offspring secures the gospel promises made way back when to Abraham and provides us our inheritance through faith for us all to rejoice in. All of us. Look, I'm really, really sorry you as you've been burned and hurt by untrustworthy people I am and what stings more than anything is not some random people letting you down but some of the most horrific examples of betrayal and broken promises come from people who knew each other so well who were best friends or who were even family Some of the most heinous crimes and most atrocious offenses are from family members to one another or close friends and and allies to one another. The closeness of the relationship makes the betrayal and the breaking of promises and let down all the worse. Unthinkable even. Ghastly even. The dad who misses the game or the mom who repeatedly fails to keep her word to her children, even when they're old and grown, even when they can see it coming. The boss you thought was on your side gives you that promotion, said he'd give you or she would give you that promotion as they promised you, but then they don't. Or worse, the family member or friend, who abuses their confidence and their authority and hurts you and betrays you and lies to you and tramples you underfoot. Letdowns from those closest to us and situations like this of serious consequence can create scars deeper than the surface that only you and God knows about. And no matter how much these scars have hurt us and broke us and made us wonder if we can even trust anyone or anything at all, we can feel like there's no use. We've been sinned against so much. Over and over, we could feel like giving up. But God, you see pass through the bloody carcasses, to make the promise of all promises, to make a gospel promise for you and for me so that we can trust no matter how many times we've been let down by promises of the past, even from our loved ones, we will know that God will not and cannot destroy himself. God will not become like those slaughtered animals. God will keep his word. The word he gave to Abraham and to you and to me and to generations after. For for people all over the world from every tribe, tongue, nation and language. He'll keep his promises to save those who trust in his son. And we don't have to go the way of our own doing and being. And goodness or supposed goodness and works. We don't have to put our trust or confidence in any other man or woman or anybody else, but we can trust this God alone for the good news of the gospel. Trust in the promised offspring that was given for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your amazing promise and the way that you've kept it for us. We thank you that you haven't left it up to us. You haven't done anything to take it away. You haven't turned and called us to figure it all out on our own, but you've done something so amazing, and you are so trustworthy. Would you help all of those here in this room who could doubt the promises that you've made because of broken promises through their lives? Oh, Lord, would you... Mend their broken hearts and let them see the glorious good news of your promise and all that you've done for us, for our salvation. We say this in Christ's name. Amen.